Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Let's pray together. Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. You have given us everything we need for life and godliness. Help us as we worship you in your word. We pray that we would humble ourselves before you and that ultimately you would uh, put these elements of your word into practice in our lives by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So stress comes at us from multiple locations and in multiple levels of intensity. There are larger stressors in life. Uh, I wonder if you can remember back to September 11th, 2001. And the, the sense of, I don't know, dread and, and shock that you may have experienced when you saw that our country was attacked on our own soil. If you can remember some of the challenges of airline travel immediately after that. And then maybe shortly thereafter you were sitting on a plane you undoubtedly started to survey the people that were coming on. And you started to make a little bit of a plan. No? Think, all right, well, if this thing, if this thing goes down, uh, I'm not going to just you know, go into the fetal position. Uh, I'm, I'm going to look to see how we can have a nice resolution of this issue. You remember the stressor that that was. You, maybe after the Boston Marathon bombing, the kind of, man, another, another attack. And small scale, two brothers. And you start to think, all right, well, this is now at a random public event. Week after week, month after month, we, we go from church shooting to school shooting, something public taking place in, in Paris, things going on in the streets of other nations. It, it's just a a frequency where there seemed to be some type of public safety issue. And so your security mindset is a bit on edge, right? You start to, to, to look for possible situations. Some people will only sit in restaurants if they can position themselves just the way they want. They can see a, an exit strategy and, and, and they take it to that degree. And, you know, that's that's neither, you know, that's, that's your own personal choice of those things. But the, the fact is, our mind can be set on edge a bit as we think of these things. Then there are other types of stressors, health concerns. You don't know what's going on with your body. Or you don't know what's going on with your mind. Why you seem to be failing in a certain way. Or maybe you start to get some form of diagnosis, and then you start to wonder about how all of that is going to progress or regress depending on the particular condition. There are stressors like raising children. They're getting older. How will their plans work out? What will be the direction of their lives? Will the Lord provide for them uh, at a, a younger age a a godly spouse? Will they make good choices about these things? Will they, will they order their lives after the things of the world? Or will they order their things after the things of the Lord? Will they live for those things that are temporal? Or will they live for those things that are eternal? Will they be concerned about how the Lord wants to direct their lives? Or will they just be concerned about what every other John or Jim or Mary wants to think about? Well, I think I'll be a surgeon. I will make a lot of money. I think I'll be an entertainer because it seems like it'll be fun. Whatever the case may be, you, you start to think about these things. And they are stressors on our lives. We have stressors in our jobs. Uh, maybe you have a great job security. Or maybe you think you have great job security. But maybe you don't. Maybe you think you don't have job security. All of these things are potential stressors. There are lesser stressors that we experience, anxieties, sitting in traffic. 
I took a couple of very simple trips over the weekend to my parents' house. Not during rush hour. It's just I-195. It's not that big of a deal. It's like not New York or Los Angeles. But they started to do some, some work on the road. And so they're going down from three lanes to one. And you, you're, please tell me you're not one of these people. Tell me you're not one of these people. Say it right now before I say it. You're not one of those people. Good, all right. You're not one of those people that rides down the left lane until you have to merge, right? You're not one of those people. They're incredibly rude. If you are one of those people, I'm calling you rude to your face. <laughs> Just merge and wait your turn. Can you tell? It may have been a stressor for me. I try. You're starting a new job and you're meeting new people and you have new expectations and you don't have a vacation during that year, right? Whatever the case, these are stressors for you. You're, maybe you're starting up at a new school. And then there are the constant stressors. Now, none of these have anything to do with me. There are daily obligations, three meals a day, house and yard need to be cared for. There's a leak under your sink you need to deal with. There are some garden beds that need to be weeded your basement needs some reorganization. None of these have to do with me, just using hypothetical person A. One of your children needs to take, uh, have you take them out for driving lessons. And the others think that they should have lessons as well. All of these things are just different ways of pointing out that we are continuously, continuously exposed to stressors smaller, medium, or larger anxieties that we have surrounding us. Sometimes we're okay with these stressors, and in other times we are at our wit's end. Sometimes it feels like we are sinking with the ship, and it feels perilous, just too much of a challenge, like you can't get a breather. What do we do when these stresses mount up? Some of the typical responses societally is people try to wash it away with alcohol, um, others with food indulgence, others take pills, whether prescription or none, and sometimes people flip out. We take vacations or mental health days. You ever hear one of those? In the military, when, when I was at uh, chaplain school, they called it self-care day. All right. Some people go to talk therapy, group therapy, all kinds of things. But just remember, whatever you were dealing with before you went on vacation, or you took your self-care day, or your mental health day, or you went to talk therapy or group therapy, just know this, the same stressors are there when you get back. It's just a fact. So, God offers us a solution that puts him at the helm of addressing our stress. God offers us a solution that puts him at the helm of addressing our stress. Instead of us finding a way to either eliminate the stressor, I could have some problems, run away from the stress, or bury your head in the sand. Instead, God is willing to interject himself into the mix and take the reins. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. Actually, we'll begin in verse 5. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, 
by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as we enter into this passage, we want to notice three truths about stress and anxiety. First of all, everyone experiences stress. He starts this with a catch-all phrase. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. That's a catch-all. He didn't say, don't be anxious about your grocery shopping. Don't be anxious about traffic. Don't be anxious about your health. He says, don't be anxious about anything. And so he's automatically helping us to understand in life there are experiences that are in and of themselves producers of anxiety. God tells us again and again to trust him. He tells us again and again not to fear. But he does it in such a way for us to understand that it is a common experience that we will be fearful and that we will be anxious. And the reason he does this is because he is a father God who knows his children. And when he speaks to you and I through the scriptures about our fear and our anxiety, he, he brings with it, he sends with it a promise, a promise of his presence, a promise of his kindness, a promise of his willingness to participate with us. It's very incredible as you look at these things that God, as our Father, is a caring Father, not just an expectant judge. We all have in our minds, in some way, shape, or form, a legalism that, that looks at God as the judge extracting from us. And there is a judgment day, folks. We know it. And we don't take that lightly. But we have to see God's judging character, his, his justice, in the light of who he is in total. And God, in his justice, coupled that together beautifully with his wonderful character of mercy, grace, long-suffering, and love. And so where he looks to extract judgment, he has put in its place the very son of his love. For those of us that know Jesus as our Savior, we ought not sit in trepidation about how our Father will deal with us. That doesn't mean we don't have a reverence. That does not mean we don't have a, a, a healthy recognition of his place as God. It means that we don't look at him and wring our hands and think, I, I, when, when is the next shoe going to drop? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I do not have to pray the exact prayer that David prayed in Psalm 51. I don't have to say, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Because I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God has made a promise to his children. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I can look at my father as one who cares for me in the midst of my weakness. So with that being said, we want to consider this word anxious. Be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. It's used positively and negatively, which is quite interesting. In fact, I find it remarkable that in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, don't be anxious about anything. And he uses the exact same word Paul does in chapter 2. But he uses it positively. Take a look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 20 for a moment. We'll start in verse 19. So he's using the illustration here of Timothy. He wants the church of Philippi to receive Timothy well when he arrives. And 
as a way to prepare them for Timothy's arrival, he uses these statements. Verse 20, uh, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him. He's unique. Who will genuinely, who will be genuinely concerned. There's our word, same exact word. Who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they, those outside, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy seeks the interests of Christ, and because he seeks the interests of Christ, he is concerned about you. And that should be true for us. We should be concerned for one another. So how do we reconcile Philippians 4, 6? Be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. But here in Philippians chapter 2, hey, listen, I want to commend to you Timothy. He's anxious about you. There's an anxiety that overtakes us, right? And you, you can't think of anything else but this problem. And the problem, whatever it is, becomes everything to you. You can't move to the right hand or the left. It's always staring you straight in the face. Isn't that the position that God is supposed to hold? Yes? What is always on our mind is always supposed to be the one who controls our very breath. And yet when anxieties take that place, they supplant God, taking him off the throne, and they become our little God. A God we hate. Who likes to be anxious? Nobody. And yet, when we allow anxiety, that place of prominence, it supplants God and becomes our God. And we wonder why we can't get rid of it. We're bowing down to it. Day in and day out and hour by hour. Oh, I'll get rid of it with this pill. It's going to still be there. I'll get rid of it. I'm, I'm going to drink it away. Eh, problem's still going to be there. I'm going to snort this. still going to be there. I'm going to eat food. It'll make me feel better. No, you're going to feel like trash when you're done. Not going to help. Whereas in Philippians chapter 2, Timothy's concern was the interests of Jesus Christ. And because Christ's interests are his people, Timothy is demonstrating a same concern that Jesus has. Jesus is on the throne. These people have problems. I want to minister to them. It's a different kind of concern altogether, which is why in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, we're actually called to have anxiety for one another. What? This is so confusing. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 25 on the screens to my right and left. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same what? Same word. Same word as Philippians 4, 6. The same care for one another. It's, the word is also used negatively. So we'll keep those things in mind. The concept that God has called us to have a concern for one another because of our union with Christ. Because we want to be concerned with what Christ is concerned, his body, God wants us to be concerned about it as well. There's also a negative, there are negative uses of it, obviously in Philippians 4, 6. It's obviously a negative use. Don't be anxious about anything. So let's take a look at a couple uh, Matthew chapter 6, please. That'll be found on page 811 of our church Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. We read a portion of this in our responsive reading to start. Listen to how Jesus couches this. As he's communicating about uh, our call to not allow anxiety to rule us, he's putting it all under the auspices, all under the, the care that God cares about you. God cares about you. Let him, in essence, be anxious. Of course, he's never had an anxious moment. I wonder why God doesn't have an anxious moment. I love this little thing. Ready? Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? He knows the end from the beginning. 
And not only does he know the end from the beginning, he, he one-ups it. He controls the end to the beginning. He doesn't just know the beginning and the end. He is the beginning and the end. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the, the cause and he is the end. It's incredible. I wonder why he's never anxious. And that very reason that he is not anxious, he gives you an eye as a reason not to live our lives, allowing the cares of this life and the concerns of our body and the concerns of our, of our, of our fleshliness to rule us. Take a look, please, here at Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25. He, he speaks, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your what? About your life? Is, what else do you have? If you're not anxious about your life, you have nothing to be anxious about. He goes on and starts to unfold it. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Oh, man, how can I keep this thing going? Not going to work. Should we be healthy? Yes. Should we eat right? Yes. Should we exercise? Yes. Are you going to add days to your life? No. You're not. Before you breathed your first breath, all of your days were written in a book. Psalm 139 and elsewhere. Think about this. Jesus is letting us know there's someone greater who has this concern for you. Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? I've been pretty much the same size, not a good size, but I've been pretty much the same size for the last eight years, right? So I have clothing that fits me. Sometimes it gets a little too tight. Sometimes it gets a little too baggy. But I could, I could virtually probably live out a good portion of the rest of my life with the clothes that I currently have. So easy for me to say, don't worry about clothing. Now, when it comes to my kids, that's a different story. I've got to try to keep getting more clothes for them because they outgrow them and maybe they're not as boring as I am and they want different styles and stuff. But we're fine. Like, we're fine. The Lord has blessed us abundantly. So I don't, I don't like, fret. Oh, how am I going to clothe my kids? I don't, I don't really have a whole lot of concern. Maybe you don't either. I'll tell you, there are some people that stand on the street corner some of them might have a bunch of clothes. I have no idea. But there are some of those folks that do not. And so this would have a bit of a challenge to them. And if they know Jesus is their Savior and they're in that condition, Jesus is giving them something to consider. But it would be a lot harder for them to apply it than for me. Let's look a little further. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So here we are in plenty, and others will read this same text, also knowing Jesus, and they have nothing. And it applies to me just the way it applies to them, except it's a little easier for me to pass over it and to keep moving as if it's no big thing than for some other people. Am I correct? I think we have to be fair. Most of us 
have plenty of food and plenty of clothing and a warm place to lay our head or cool place to lay our head at night. Most of us do, I think. Um, but this can be difficult for other people. And God says to them, if you are concerned about your life and you take the reins of that, you're going to have many anxieties, many stresses. And you might even be overwhelmed. But I want you to think about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, how the same creator is not just superintending over them, but he is actually your father. God the Father has allowed some of his children to go without, even to the point of death, right? And then they are fed, and then they are clothed with a clothe clothing that is outside of this world. They're not to be found naked, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but they are housed with a tabernacle that is from God. And so while there may be cause for great concern here on this earth, and some of those concerns are warranted in the sense that God will not supply and meet that physical need in this day. That happens. Most of us don't experience that. And so we contend, listen please carefully, we contend to be very similar to the health, wealth, and prosperity preachers saying, don't worry about it. God takes care of everything. Just trust him. You'll be clothed and you'll be fed. That's what they say, except they take it to another level, right? And we don't want to be anywhere in the realm of that false theology. God does, as a general rule, supply. But he doesn't always in this time. But for every believer... He always supplies in the end. So the traveling of this life may be filled with griefs and difficulty and pain. But God is telling you to look to him who will supply what he intends for us when he intends it to be for us. And so we look at these anxieties that are part of everyday life, and we say, okay, Lord, you're telling me not to be anxious, including these things. Take a look at Luke 10. Luke 10, that'll be found on page 869 of our church Bibles. Luke chapter 10. This is a familiar account in the life of Jesus regarding Mary and Martha. You're familiar with it, but we're going to read through it. This is a different form of anxiety. And sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, personality plays into these kinds of anxieties. And we need to be very careful that our personality does not overtake our spiritual condition. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 and following. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much what? And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone or to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So we now transition to the, another portion of everyday life where we're doing stuff. We, we have to prepare. 
We've got to make sure the house is clean and, and, the, and the food is made and the clothes are ready. We've got to get ready for church tomorrow. We have to make sure all the, all the outfits are out and ready to go. We have to make sure that we don't leave the house a mess so that when we come home, uh, we're able to eat and, and then get ready for whatever is next. You know how it all goes. Coming into the church, we're going to make sure that the, the floors are swept and the windows are washed and the, and the bathrooms are clean and, and there's actually toilet paper in the men's bathroom. All of these things are important. Sometimes there is not any toilet paper in the men's bathroom. These things can be important. We're all these necessities of life, and we can be distracted, and, and it can overwhelm us. And when we come to church, instead of worshiping the God of all glory and the Lord Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us, we're thinking about making sure the cameras are set up. We're making sure the, the microphone works. We're making sure that the pulpit's not crooked. These things drive us insane. Am I the only one? All right, I'm Martha. I think you're Martha. <laughs> I'm only kidding. These are anxieties. Stress, anxiety are experienced by everyone. It just depends what way that stress and anxiety manifests itself in you. And so God tells us in shrouded in the passage with the concept that he's our father enshrouded by the concept that the Lord is near at the end of the passage the God of peace will be with you he's giving us these clues to say stop stressing out so much there's more to life than meeting every single thing you think is a need take a deep breath Ease off the pedal. Have a little less caffeine. I say far too frequently in my house, you need to chill out. Calm down. But all of us have it. It's a common demand. Head back to Philippians chapter 4. So that was where we we're going to spend most of our time. Okay, so don't sit there panicking that we only go through point one and it's already 11.02. Be anxious for nothing. <laughs> I was telling the guys in the side room over here, this is, this is amazingly ironic. I am incredibly anxious about preaching this morning. I'm not usually anxious. I have a holy awe whenever I'm going to preach and speak and teach. It's, it's, it's there. But I'm not usually, like, anxious. And I had this, like, anxious all morning was driving everyone that knows me insane. So I was telling, please pray for me. I'm anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Let's let's dive in here. Second second concept here. God provides a spiritual remedy. God provides a spiritual remedy, and I have in my notes, and you don't have in yours, to our human problem. God provides a spiritual remedy to our human problem. So often we try to come up with human remedies to our spiritual problems. God is providing a spiritual solution to our human problems. He says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything but in everything. So we've got another catch-all. Sitting in traffic. You're at a doctor's appointment and they're running late. How did you know? <laughs> it's taking too long. Finances are running a little bit short. There's turbulence in a relationship. All the things that we, we don't have to reiterate them all. These are things that get us, God says, but in everything. Everything. Small little anxieties. Ah, it's no big deal. Everything. Most dire necessity. Everything. In everything, he says, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Requests known to God. We're very good at letting our requests be made known. Sometimes to the wrong people, right? See, it's not, not, not wrong telling people, you know, please pray for me, or whatever the case may be. But sometimes we spend more time asking people to pray for us than talking to God. Please, bad idea. How about just talk to God? You can also tell people, ask them, I'm just going to recommend, spend more time talking to God than other people about your problem. And I think you might be in better shape 
He says, by prayer, that's a general term for prayer, and supplication, that's a word indicating a need. And then, in, in, at the end of the verse, let your request, that's a, a, the thing asked for. So it's very simple. He uses three different terms, really just trying to give us the idea that, that we've, got to, we've got to talk to God. We have to express the need. We have to let it no, be known to him. And I really like the way that Peter puts it. Okay? Peter really helps us to see this. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 5 for a moment. 1 Peter 5, 5, likewise, you who are younger, be submissive to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Why? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. In order to do that, verse 7 is a necessity. Casting all your cares or anxieties on him. If it stopped there, it would be a nice little remedy, wouldn't it? Good instructions, good moral teaching, but he doesn't leave it there just as a moral instruction. He gospelizes it. You want to know how he gospelizes it? The end of verse 7. Because he cares for you. The gospel is about God supplying. God supplying what we can't supply. Here you are, here I am. All kinds of problems, all kinds of challenges. Every one of those things needs to be brought to God in prayer, supplication, letting our requests be made known, casting our care to the one who can deal with it. This is, this is, what, this is what it takes, folks, to put God at the helm of our anxieties. God, I can't. I can't, I can't do this. I can't fix this. I don't have the step one, two, three, step through 12, step through 13, whatever the steps are, to figure all of this out. I can't do this, but, but you can. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to place myself under your loving care, casting all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. Back in Philippians 4, he also adds one other element to it. It's absolutely necessary. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, what? With thanksgiving... Let your requests be made known to God. This concept of thanksgiving is vital and easier said than done. Why would one, like you or me, why would we be thankful for difficulties? You know, Peter answers that in this context as well. Look at verses 10 and 11. 1 Peter 5, 10 and 11. And after you have what? Uh, what? No, 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 no. Christians don't suffer. Christians have it easy. Christians use Christianity like a crutch. Right? That's, they all become Christians so that they have food on their table and clothes on their back. That's a misunderstanding of any true Christian message. Peter says, after you have suffered a little while, and I'd like to ask you this question, who tells us what a little while is? In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter answers it. A day in the sight of the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. My life is not, I don't get a thousand years. And so if a day is a little while, then I could suffer my entire life. I'm not playing around, I'm, I'm dead serious. We think that we have no right to suffer. I have the most important right to suffer. I was born in sin. I was shapen in iniquity. Born in sin and confirmed by sin with many times multiplied. Then I'm a sinner. I deserve eternal wrath. And by the way, the Bible says all have sinned. So to say, um, to suffer a little while, and maybe that little while means an entire life, not overstated. Oh, well, okay. This seems kind of like a bummer. It's not. Look at what he says. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal, what, whoa, wait, what? Eternal, 
Eternal is longer than a little while. Did you know that? How much longer is it than a little while? I've tried to teach my son this. This is hard for him to get. Don't tell me that you love me multiple times of infinity because it, you, you don't get more than infinity. Infinity never stops. Same with eternity. Eternity never stops. So how much greater is eternal glory than, than a little while suffering? There's not even a number to put on it. You can't do it. It says E on the calculator. It's saying, ah, I, I can't do it. <laughs> eternal glory in Christ Jesus. He will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Listen, it's not over yet. To him be the what? What's it say? What is dominion? What is dominion? Sovereignty. Power. Rule. He says, to him be the right to rule. For how long? Forever and ever, amen. Yeah, out there somewhere. No! Right now. You want a solution to your anxiety. God gives you and I a solution to our anxiety. Let it be his problem. That doesn't mean we don't do anything. If you're hungry, you better get a job. Don't rely on the government. Don't rely on the church. Don't rely on your buddies. Get a job and work. Some people are physically unable to. That's where the church comes along. That's where the government comes along. That's where your best buddies come along. But if you are well, work. If your kids need shoes, you go to work. You buy the shoes. Don't ask someone else to supply them. That's your job. Placing God in his rightful place, which is why we can bring our prayers and supplications with thanksgiving. God, you have given me what I need. Our tendency when we're stressed out is to eliminate the stressor or to try to drown it out with some other activity. And God is essentially telling us to remember who is sovereignly superintending, superintending our lives. Why should I be thankful in the midst of my anxiety? Listen, why should I be thankful in the midst of my anxiety? You know the one who made heaven and earth, and you can talk to him. Do you realize that? That's what prayer is. Talking to the sovereign, sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe. When God supplies peace, his supply of peace is extraordinary. Back in uh, Philippians 4, 7, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Whose peace? Not your peace. Not my peace. Not the peace of the church. Not the peace of the pope. The, pe the peace of the priest. The peace of any human or organization. It's the peace of God. This is what Jesus told his disciples in John 14 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He said a similar thing in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It's a surpassing all understanding kind of peace is what it says back in Philippians 4, 7. It comes from a, a compound word. You ready? Hooper, that means beyond. And echo, that means to have. To have. Beyond. <coughs> to have. Like, I have this bottle of water. It's in my hand. I dare you to try to get it out. I've got it. It's beyond. It's beyond super hooper. It's, it's incredibly beyond. It passes the marks. It surpasses all understanding. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. You, God, you keep him in what kind of peace? Perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. 
Trust in the Lord. How long? Forever. Forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. The peace of God that, that he gives comes, and it doesn't just sit there. Like, it doesn't sit there and do nothing. It has a job. It's an important job. God doesn't just distribute his peace and then, whoo, okay. It says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will do what? Guard. The peace will guard. God's peace will guard. It takes on this authoritative role in the heart and in the mind of the believer who is in Christ Jesus. And what it does is it takes on the mentality of a guard making sure that the prisoners stay where they ought to be or the riffraff stays out, right? So God gives us this supernatural peace and it performs in a certain way. And, and he says the same thing in Colossians 3.15. Listen to what he says, Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of Christ, what does it say? Rule. Rule. It's a great word. We're in baseball season. What are those guys behind the plate called? Behind the catcher. That's exactly what he's saying. That's a ball. That's a strike. Sometimes they're wrong. The peace of God never is. It is umpiring our heart. Let the peace of Christ umpire rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body and be thankful. So God offers to provide a solution that may not uh, take the problem away, but instead offers us true peace in the midst of difficulty. If God simply took away all of our problems, he would not talk about a peace that passes understanding. Problems that go away, it's like, who doesn't celebrate? But problem remains, and there's a peace that resides. This is what God offers to us. Now consider what Paul says at the end of verse 5, back in Philippians 4. I know you're not there. But you'll remember this. The Lord is at hand. The Lord near. Remember, there's no is. It's just the Lord near. That's it. You can be talking about a soon coming or a continual presence. The Lord near. At the end of that passage, in verse 9, after he talks about the things we meditate in our minds, think on the things that are true, the excellencies, those things, he says, the things that you've seen and heard from me, do them, and the God of peace himself will be with you. So we're talking about God's presence in the midst of our turmoil. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. The Lord is near to whom? The brokenhearted. And he saves the crushed in spirit. This is incredible. What a promise is that? Are you hurting today? Do you have turmoil in your soul today? Do you have a body that is forsaking you or a mind that's forsaking you? Are you feeling crushed and weighed down? The Lord is near to you. The Lord is near to you. If you know him, the Lord is near to the broken heart. He is one who saves those who are crushed. In, in, in Psalm 145, in verse 18, the Bible says this, The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. Part of God's solution to our anxiety is a reminder that he is with us. He's with us. And isn't that exactly what Jesus told his disciples when he offered them the great commission, when he commanded them to go to the nations? He says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Where you go, I am there. What you go through, I am there. I am present with you. That is a great promise. Without that promise, we can't go forward. Listen to the statement by a man. I only know his last name. His last name is Newman. You know a couple of Newmans. They didn't make the statement, but they're nice too. Listen to what Newman had to say. Christ, then, is ever at our doors. As near 1,800 years ago as now. And not nearer now than then. And not nearer, listen, and not nearer when he comes than now. You think, ah, I'm not sure I buy that. Well, then you don't believe the text of Scripture. That's right. Jesus resides in his people. 
Remember, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you have the peace of God ruling your heart? You will never know this peace unless you are at peace with him. God has made this provision for us to be at peace with him. Our sin puts us in a condition of separation from God. And yet Jesus laid down his life as a payment for that sin. God raised him up from the grave. And that resurrection indicates that God was sufficiently pleased with the sacrifice. And secondly, that all who trust Jesus will also be raised into God's eternal presence. We have this promise in Romans 5, 1. Listen to what he says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace of God will not rule your heart unless you are first at peace with him. And the way toward peace with him is simply to trust that Jesus Christ took your sin debt on himself, bore your sin and the condemnation against your sin, so that instead of you experiencing the judgment of God against your sin, Jesus bore the judgment of God against your sin. You turn from your sin. That's called repentance. Turn from your sin and turn toward Jesus and embrace him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, justified freely by his grace, in Romans 3.24. Justified by faith, and it results in peace with God. Peace with God, and then, for the believer, casting our care upon him, bringing our petitions before him with thanksgiving, the peace of God superintends our heart and guards us from anxiety ruling over us. Let's pray together. Father, you're good, you're great, and you're greatly to be praised. We need you to, to work in us. We pray that you'd help us, help us to cast our care upon you and to experience your peace. I pray for anyone here that's never experienced peace with you, that even today they would call upon the name of the Lord, your Son, Jesus, our Savior, and be saved. And for those of us that know you, we pray that your peace would govern us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.